0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this
1: is the Theology Central Podcast.
0: Making Theology Central.
1: Welcome, everyone. It is Saturday, June the 4th, 2022. It is currently 5.07 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live two stories above a street right here in Abilene, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, I'm, a, I'm sitting here a little bit perplexed. I'm sitting here a little bit confused. I'm sitting here losing my voice, okay? I, yeah, I don't know. I'm hitting pu- puberty. I don't know what's going on with my voice. Okay, just ignore my voice. But welcome, everyone. I'm sitting here a little bit confused and perplexed because our last live broadcast that just ended, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes ago, I just got the numbers for that live broadcast. That was the largest live audience that we have ever had in the history of live broadcasting. And I have no clue why, like a lot of times I can understand, okay, well, it's a Sunday morning and 90% of my church is not even present. And, oh, they actually tuned in. Okay. That explains why, right? Like, I mean, sometimes I can understand, but on a Saturday afternoon, a June Saturday and in the middle of the afternoon and all of a sudden that's the largest live audience we've ever encountered, something weird happened. And I either the numbers are wrong <laughs> or something weird. I don't know. But if you happen to tune into the last live broadcast and you've never tuned in before, let me know. Like, how did you find a live broadcast And why did you choose to tune in again? Okay. Like, I don't know. I'm just a little perplexed. I'm sitting here going, whoa, that was weird. Because by the time that was over, I just had the feeling, okay, one person is listening, one person. And then I get done and I'm like, wait, how many people were listening? What just happened? How did that occur? So I, the largest live audience we've ever had, It, it is just, that is weird. That is weird. There are times I'm like, this is going to be the one, the, and, and it, w- it was one I wasn't even thinking about. But you're not here to talk about that, are you? No, we're here to continue our sermon review on a sermon preached by Stacy Wood. That is S-T-A-C-I-E, not S-T-A-C-Y. I misspelled it. I, I as soon as I saw it, I'm like, why? Why did I spell it that way? But if you don't know who Stacy Wood is, well, you're getting ready to find out because Stacy Wood is about to become the teaching pastor of Saddleback Church, one of the most influential churches. In the United States of America, I don't know about globally, but definitely in the United States of America. Now, yes, it has lost its influence over the years. It's not as relevant and as influential, but it still shows up on the list. Now, she's not going to be the lead pastor. Her lead pastor is her husband, and his name is, and I always forget his name. Um, It's right, Andy Wood. Andy Wood is going to be the lead pastor. Stacy Wood is going to be the uh, teaching pastor. So, here's what we've been doing. If you don't know, the news was announced that Rick Warren was stepping down. Purpose-driven church, purpose-driven life. That Rick Warren? Yes, okay. One of the most influential evangelical pastors in America, you know, over the last, I don't know how many years. Very influential. Saddleback Church, one of the most influential churches. Well, he announced that he's retiring, and on September the 12th or 14th, somewhere in September... Andy Wood is going to become pastor, lead pastor, and his wife will become the teaching pastor. They're coming from Echo Church, which is located in San Jose, California. Now, since Saddleback is one of the most influential churches, well, I want to know what is Saddleback going to look like a year from now, two years from now? Well, we have a, we have a good way of getting an idea. We can get a clue. We can just go back and pull sermons from Andy and Stacy Wood and go, okay, this is how they handle the scriptures. Here's a little bit of their doctrine and theology. This is where they're going to take Saddleback Church and move into the future. Are they about to become household names that everyone's going to know Andy and Stacy Wood, and they're going to become like Rick Warren? I don't know. Or Is the church going to go from this massively influential church to really just a relic of something in the past? I don't know. We don't know. But because a church is that influential, it influences all of us. It influences your church and my church because influence, well, it spreads everywhere. So as a result of that, I think not only is it right, I think it's wise to go, let's go, let's go review some of these sermons and see. So this is what we've done. We've reviewed one sermon by Andy Wood. There was major problems with it. First, it really wasn't that textual based. And then he kind of used the text and actually went against what I thought the text was actually saying. So there was a problem there. His wife, we've done a, this is part two, we are going to finish our review of her sermon. Now, what's interesting with her sermon is she's a great communicator, very creative, very engaging, does very well with the way she reads and presents the text, enunciates everything very well, a great communicator. She has been very much more textual based in her sermon. However, there's some possible problems emerging. Now, her sermon is based on Genesis chapter 29. Now, the thesis of her sermon is that as human beings, we're kind of like a flower pot. We're like a flower pot. We're like a pot. And there's these external forces that come along like a hammer, boom, and hits the and hits us, and hits us, and slowly but surely it breaks us. We are broken by all of these external things that happen to us and that what we have to do is learn how to respond correctly to this brokenness. Now, I am not saying, let me make this dogmatic, as of right now, I am not accusing and I'm not saying that she's preaching a semi-Pelagian view on depravity and human nature. However, it's very questionable because she seems to focus on the brokenness that happens to us by things external to us and seems to be denying the reality that we are all born broken. We're not born a nicely put together flower pot or, 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 uh, you know, Whatever kind of pot or vase that you want to describe. We're not, we're not born all nicely put together and then we're broken by the cruelties of life. No, we are born a completely broken and fragmented pot. We're broken into a million pieces. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We have a heart that is deceitfully wicked and uh, and deceitful above all things. We are conceived in sin. We are sinners. We are flawed and we are broken from the moment of our conception. We are sinners. That is the biblical doctrine of human depravity. She seems to be focused on this external stuff. So she goes to the story in Genesis chapter 9 uh, with uh, Leah and Rachel. All right, with Leah and Rachel. Let me make sure I've got all the names Yeah, Leah and Rachel and Jacob. Okay, and Leah. Well, she was broken because, well, she wasn't very pretty. She had weak eyes. She didn't have a. Uh, she wasn't. Didn't have a great figure. And then Jacob didn't really love her. And then you know she gets kind of put in a horrible situation. She's rejected. She has all of these kids. She gives them names. She has these sons because she's blessed, because God opens her womb and lets her have children, and Rachel is not. However, she she the way she names the children, it reflects that she's wanting to be loved, and she's upset that she's not loved by her husband. And yes, this is a horrible situation, and yes, that would greatly impact her. But she the, the sermon seems to ignore the fact that this entire situation is a result of human depravity, and that the story is really messed up. She tried to turn it into more of a almost a, a comedy. She tried to make a lot of jokes about it that I felt really kind of betrayed really what's going on in this story because there's some really messed up stuff here. I'm not going to go review all of that. And then we finished our, in part one, in our review of, of, of her sermons. Now, for the, for some weird reason, I'm just going to, a, I'm going to, a, <laughs> I don't know. The last time I thought nobody was listening and we ended up with more people than ever. So if you're new, please know how the sermon reviews go. I don't listen to them in first. Because if I did that, this would be performance art. I don't listen to them first. What I do is review them in real time with you. So it's more like you came over to my house and we're sitting down listening to a sermon together talking about it. So I never know where it's going to go. That's fun. Sometimes it's nerve wracking because by the time I'm done, I'm like, well, I don't really have anything to say. I I don't know what to do with that. But in this particular case, we've had a lot to say. So what she's done this is kind of where we ended and it's really it's really irritating to me but she basically did this she accuses Leah of being a really bad mom that she's not attentive to her children she really wasn't there she didn't really teach them the right way she just makes a lot of accusations against Leah she doesn't really prove it with scripture other than she shows the bad things her kids did but she basically says Leah was a bad mom now she then says hey i don't want to i don't want to throw out a lot of mom guilt on everyone. But hey, Leo really was a bad mom. Now, once again, she seems to ignore, you no, know, her kids were born sinners. Her kids were born depraved. The best parenting in the world cannot overcome depravity. Depravity has to be overcome through the through the work of Christ and the gospel. All right. Now I'm not saying that, that excuses are bad parenting, but I'm just saying that even the best parenting cannot overcome depravity. And it doesn't matter what you believe about soteriology. If you believe free will, well then your will your child's will is absolutely free. And and I and I think it would be then unethical for you to try to manipulate and do what you can to try to get that will to do what you want it to do. That's not respecting their free will right and if you don't believe in free will you believe in a more reformed soteriology well then clearly they're dead in their trespasses and sin and the only thing that's going to fix that is the saving electing grace of god that's but that's a whole interesting discussion we could have i don't want to get completely get into that fight but i'm saying whichever way you look at it the point is she just makes all of these accusations but ignoring the fact that the whole story really the whole book of genesis is proof Of the reality of the fall. Adam and Eve sin. And everyone from that point is born a sinner. And we see the reality of that. In every chapter after the fall. Starting in Genesis 4. With Cain killing Abel. And it just continues and continues. By the time you get to the end of Genesis. You should be like. Everyone is messed up. The whole world is messed up. And then you close your Bible. And you go look in the mirror and go. And I'm messed up. Because we're all messed up. We're all broken. We're all flawed. It's just. She seems to be focusing on the external flaws we experience. So, I'm not saying she's teaching semi-Pelagianism, but it definitely seems to be emphasizing, hey, your problem is what happened to you. All of your problems started because of what happened to you. Externally, not what you are. Now, Again, she says she's not going to heap mom guilt, but then she proceeds to do so. So I've backed this up just a little bit. I hope that catches everyone up. I hope that's a decent review, but that's 12 minutes of review. I don't want to spend any more time. Let's review the actual sermon. We have got 21 minutes left. Uh, I think originally when we stopped, we had 19 minutes left. So I've backed it up about two minutes. Again, this is Stacey Wood, who's about to become the teaching pastor of Saddleback Church one of the most influential churches in America. We want to know what the direction that church is going to take. Well, we're getting an idea by going back about three weeks to listen to Stacey Wood and listen to her sermon that she preached about the beauty and the brokenness or something along those lines. Um, and clearly we, we talked in, our, uh, in episode one or in part one, we talked about complementarianism and egalitarianism. And we talked a little bit about, well, the direction Saddleback is going which is just, well, we, we, we could, I mean, they already had issues with ordaining, what, three women pastors and got in trouble with the SBC, but I don't think the SBC actually did anything. So it looks like they're going to continue to move in that direction. Then you could argue, well, if the woman is a teaching pastor and not the lead pastor, and she's simply complimenting her husband, is that not complementarianism? And then we can get a whole discussion in how to define that. But I believe it's uh, definitely not biblical, but we could we could have that discussion later. All right, are you ready? Here we go, Stacy Wood, S-T-A-C-I-E, not S-T-A-C-Y, um, and she preached this at Echo Church in San Jose, California just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, well, she's about to become the, uh, the teaching pastor of one of the most influential churches in America. This is, gives us a hint of why, where that church is headed. Here we go.
0: Now the Bible, it doesn't give us a lot of information about Leah's parenting strategies, but if we can kind of connect the dots of what we do know, we know what she named her sons. We have a few snapshots of their family dynamics, and we know how her boys turned out. And if we connect those dots, we can see that there was so much dysfunction in the house of Jacob. And let me give you just three quick snapshots. The first
1: one. Okay. Now she again focuses on the dysfunction in the family. And I will say it's proof of depravity in the family. Depravity is what leads to dysfunction. Dysfunction does not lead to depravity. Depravity leads to dysfunction. So as the issue is everything was wrong because it was a dysfunctional family and the reason it was a dysfunctional family is because Leah was a bad mom if she wasn't a bad mom it wouldn't have been a d- dysfunctional family you no know, depravity always leads. every family has some level of dysfunction in some way either emotionally or there's something that's not always I don't care how great the family is there's always something not right that's why no matter how, how great you a job you think you do as a parent when your kids are older they're going to be like you did this and you did this and you hurt me and you let me down and you disappointed me and you and and you're going to be like, what did i do wrong well just acknowledge I probably did a lot more than that wrong. I'll give you a better list. I did everything wrong because, well, I'm, I'm a sinner. It doesn't excuse our sin. It's just, I want you to make sure you understand. D- dysfunction does not lead to depravity. Depravity leads to dysfunction. That's the biblical model. Depravity is always the issue, not dysfunction. Dysfunction is the fruit of depravity. Depravity is not the fruit of... Of depravity is not the fruit of dysfunction. Dysfunction is the fruit of depravity. Okay, make sure I said that correctly. That's a very important theological distinction, all right? Very important. Right, let's. Now, she's going to give these snapshots. These snapshots are bad. They're bad, but it just shows the depravity in the kids. But they're going to say the depravity of the kids is almost a result of, le, le, uh, of, of her brokenness, all right? So here we go.
0: One is that one of Leah's sons slept with his stepmom. That's weird. Like I don't care who you are, that's weird. You just you don't do that, right? I mean, can we? I mean, I didn't hear much. Amen. In this audience, can we just agree? That's weird, right? Um, the second snapshot would be that uh, one time Leah's sons schemed together. They they decided they were going to trick an entire city into circumcising all their men. They said, if you want to be friends with us, you guys all have to be circumcised. And so the, the guys were like, oh, okay, sure. And so they did it. And while those men are recovering from their surgery, Leah's boys decide to, to attack the unsuspecting city and they kill everybody. Like this is not good. And then the third example is later on, her son scheme together and they decide to sell one of their own brothers into slavery. And so we've got here, we've got adultery, we've got murder, we've got human trafficking. Like, these are not good guys. They are not men of upstanding character. And there is so much dysfunction in the house of Jacob.
1: There was so much depravity in the house of Jacob, which manifested itself and it's dysfunction. The depravity did not come from the dysfunction. The dysfunction came as a result of the depravity. I, I, I just, I'm, going to conti- I'm going to just drive that point home because without that, you do not have a Christian worldview. Without that, you do not have a Christian correct understanding of anything. Depravity is always the is the beginning of, of how we understand ourselves and the world around us. All right? Now, she may be communicating in a very engaging and entertaining way, but I'm just nervous that this is, it's almost like it's like, it's like hey, we're going to take a we're going to take a, a a Saturday afternoon drive and we're going to get really close over there. That's called that that's the land of semi-pelagianism and there is Pelagius, he's the mayor and we're going to get really close to the city limits. Now, she hasn't pulled into semi-pelagian. She hasn't she hasn't driven up to the mayor and say, "Hey, Pelagius, we love you." She hasn't done that, but it seems like that's where it's headed in semi-pelagianism. Well, Pelagianism is a heresy. Semi Pelagianism is a heresy that was condemned by the early church. You can read about the the debate between the Augustinian view and the semi and the Pelagian view. And then you can go to the Synod of Dort and you can get into a, once again, the Pelagianism view shows up in kind of different ways. We we could we could go through all the church history of of it all, but yeah, it's 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 a heresy that is rampant in the church today. It's rampant. Most churches are semi Pelagian. You'll find some that are full-blown Pelagian, but at best, most are semi-Pelagian. The evangelical world is just, has just been completely taken over by semi-Pelagianism. And I obviously reject it and hold to a very, 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 what I believe, biblical view of total depravity. All right, here we go.
0: And I'm not saying, what I do not want to imply or say here, is that all of these bad choices could have been avoided if Leah was just a better mom. Because, heaven help me, I do not want to inflict any more mom guilt on society. Girls, we got enough mom guilt, don't we? I mean, we are all sorting through mom guilt. and that-
1: I think this is funny. Hey, I don't want to imply that all of these bad choices was her fault. And I don't, I don't want to place any mom guilt because we've got enough of it. She, after she says that, she goes right into it and just watch what she does. She's basically going to say Leah was trash. Leah was a dumpster fire of a mom. Leah was garbage. Now, she's not going to use it in those strong words, but just put how she's just going to put all the blame on Leah, not on depravity, on Leah. Here we go.
0: That is not what I'm saying. If there is one thing I have learned in my 15 years of motherhood, is that my kids are, my, are their own people and they are going to make their own choices.
1: What you should have learned in 15 years of being a mom is that your kids are depraved. And your parenting cannot override that depravity. It can't. It can't remove it. You can't ground it out of them. You can't lecture it out of them. You can't manipulate it out of them. You, now you can you can make them do religious things. You can push for them to do religious things, say a prayer, go to church. You you can you can do a lot. You can try to restrain the depravity, but you cannot get it out of them. Depravity is it, well, it's going to remain even if they're saved. But depravity is something that's just there. It's a part of their nature until glorification.
0: But you, can you imagine the difference that it could have made if Leah had been whole and healthy herself? If she had been a mom that was available to intentionally show up and invest into the character development of her sons? To-
1: See? See? Hey, if Leah would have shown up, if she would have shown intentionality, if she would have been there to help instruct her, her kids with character, she's blaming Leah with for all of it. Leah Leah's just completely like, she's trash. She messed up her kids. What, what, what about the reality of depravity? It, it, and again, she, does she got biblical examples of where the mom, Leah, completely messed up? And again, as I stated in part one, didn't they have a father? Wasn't Jacob there? Like, so, like, it, this is all her fault, it sounds like.
0: To teach them the ways of God. How much of, these pa- how much of these painful decisions could have been averted if there was a level of intentionality in, Le- in Leah's parenting? You see, our brokenness, it's affecting more than just us. And what we do with our brokenness, it matters. Like, it, Leah, Leah kept taking her brokenness to Jacob, and she said, said, Jacob, if you would just love me, Jacob, if you would just be attached to me, Jacob, here's all my brokenness. And meanwhile, Jacob is completely incapable of mending her brokenness because he also is a very broken individual. That's why so many marriages get tanked because we're two broken people and we're looking for the other person to fix everything that's wrong with our life.
1: And it just doesn't happen. No, we're depraved people. See, I don't understand this because she's already demonstrated that she thinks brokenness comes from outside of us, right? That she she started the sermon. If you missed the part one, she started the sermon where she had like a pot and then she had like a little hammer and she's like, and then you know this happens to you, and she hits the pot, and then this happens to you hits hits the pot. So she's trying to explain the brokenness is the result of the things that we have experienced. So hey, the prop, the reason marriages tank is because we're broken and we. We're depraved. Depravity is, sin is the issue. I, it, it's like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know, like she's replacing depravity with brokenness and brokenness is everyone else's fault. See, the reason our marriage is tank is because all of these bad things happen to us and then we look for the other person to fix our brokenness. Now, there may be some truth in that, but you have to start always with the ultimate root of everything, which is depravity. All right, let's see. I'm just, I'm just getting worried that we're getting closer and closer to semi-Pelagianism. That's where I'm getting worried about. But let's, let's see if, if I'm wrong.
0: Happen. We've all got hurts and habits and hangups that are not serving us well. And we have to be thoughtful about where are we taking the brokenness in our life. So instead of looking inward and trying to see how we could fix it ourselves, And instead of looking outward and thinking, if you would just do this for me, or if you would just do that for me, instead of looking inward or outward, what if we would turn our gaze upward and look to a source that was actually capable of meeting those deep needs in our lives? You know, our brokenness does not have to remain our bondage. Our brokenness can actually become our pathway back to God. That's the second response to brokenness, that our brokenness can point out that we are in need of God, that we can't fix all this on our own, that there's no circumstance in our life that could make us whole again. And it can become the pathway, the thing that makes us reach out to God. When my kids were little, they would uh, bring me and Andy, they'd bring us all their broken things, like their toys and stuff that had broken. Well, if you know anything about me and Andy, you know that, Fixing anything is not in our top five strengths. Like we just, we're not fixers. And, and so what I would do is I would very compassionately receive the broken toy. I'm so sorry. And then I would just hide it. I, you know, I just put it away on a, in a closet or on top of their fridge. And if that child did not request the toy again for six months, then that toy's gone. And, and so that's just a little free parenting tip for all you young moms out there. Just out of sight, out of mind, Right. You see, the brokenness, the broken things in our life, they seem unwanted, broken toys, broken bones, broken systems, nobody wants that stuff. It's all negative. But in God's economy, brokenness is very different. Not only is it a positive thing, I would say that it's necessary. Brokenness is essential. If you look at Psalm 51, it says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. You see, our brokenness is what causes us to realize that we have need for God. That we would reach out for a relationship with him. Jesus said, it is not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick.
1: Okay, now I'm getting confused. The brokenness you're talking about is all of our pain and hurt the brokenness that you you i think you should be referring to is we are broken over sin a broken and contrite spirit that is broken over its sin it sees its depravity it sees its sin the jesus the person who needs the doctor is the one who is sick the one who realizes their sinfulness it's not the don't reduce the gospel to you're broken because of all the mean things that's happened to you in life Bring it to Jesus and he'll fix all of that brokenness that you have encountered. That's really where this is headed that the gospel is simply there to fix all of the wounds that you've experienced by all of the bad people you've encountered. No, you're the bad person. You're the flawed person. You have to see your broken, not the brokenness that has been given to you by what other people have done to you. This is about depravity and sin. It seems like she's replacing sin with just wounds that you've encountered in life and that the gospel is Jesus coming to fix the wounds that you've uh, acquired in life that you've experienced. She's replacing depravity and sin with simply scars that you have received and living in a fallen, broken world, or I don't even know she broken world. I'm getting really nervous that she's going to reduce the gospel as something to fix your problems, not to answer your sin issue. I'm getting really nervous here. I'm getting really really really, really nervous because remember her opening illustration isn't you're broken because of sin you're broken be you're broken because you're a sinner, but that because you've encountered these bad things, and now it seems to be like the solution is Jesus comes to fix that that's not the gospel. this is not the gospel. this is some therapeutic gospel this is some like psychological uh, gospel there to supposedly fix all of the horrible things that's happened to you. Jesus came to save us from sin. That's the issue. She's got 15 minutes. Let's see if she fixes this because I'm getting really nervous.
0: And so we don't even call the doctor when we're feeling great. It's when, it's when we've got pain that starts to scream at us that we get motivated to make an appointment. It's when our bodies are broken and they're not working properly that we reach out for help. And the same is true of us spiritually. As long as you think you can do this on your own strength, as long as you think you can hold all the pieces together, you're not gonna humble yourself before an almighty God and say, I need your help. But when we have a broken spirit, when we have a repentant heart, then we will reach out and say, God, I need you.
1: It's a broken spirit over your sin. It's a broken, you're broken over your sin. You're, you're destroyed because of your sin and you want to turn your to from your sin to God. You're turning to him to save you, not to fix you, not to put the pieces back together, but to save you from the wrath of God from condemnation. I think this is very, 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 I'm getting very worried here that she's destroying the gospel and turning it into a psychological fix for the hurts you've encountered. That's not the gospel. All right, so I'm, I, I'm okay, 15 minutes, here we go.
0: You know, there's a beautiful passage that you might be familiar with in the book of Matthew called the Beatitudes. And Jesus is teaching, and he says, He starts it off by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the the poor in spirit. Those people who realize that they don't have it all together. They don't have everything that they need. Those are the people that get to experience the kingdom of heaven.
1: The people who realize they're spiritually bankrupt. They're poor. They, They have nothing to offer God because we are sinners. Why can't she use the philological terminology, depraved, sin, guilt, condemnation, wrath of God? This is like, let's not use that oh, that ancient terminology that's so offensive. Let's just make it sound like you're broken because bad people did bad things to you. And Jesus has come to fix it. He's come to make it everything better. He's going to make all of your pain go away, and you'll live happily ever after in this fake gospel and this fake Christianity. I'm not trying to be rude, but that's where this seems this is going. And again, the only reason we're reviewing this sermon is because she's about to become the teaching pastor of one of the most influential churches in America. That's the only reason, because what. If she becomes a household name, her theology begins to influence Christianity all around you and influences people who go to your church or my church. So that's why we have to address this. That's the only reason. I would rather be doing anything else on a Saturday afternoon than, than dealing with this, but it, it just needs to be dealt with. So, oh, okay. She's got 14 minutes now. Let's see. I. I she, at some point, she has to transition and use biblical language, right? She has to. At least just to correct her, the, the, the semi-Pelagian concept that she, the, the semi-Pelagian illustration she gave at the beginning of the sermon. Again, she she gave the idea that we're like a, we're, we're a completely put together pot and then bad things happen to us. And that's what breaks us. I'll never forget. I, I, I'll, I, I've told the story a million times. When I became a Christian and a Southern Baptist church, and here in West Texas, right, I was taught this, that you're born like this very, cl- this completely clean white piece of paper. That's how you're born. That's how you're born. And then we take this wonderful clean piece of paper and we wad it all up and make it a mess. So, so see, we're born... Like a clean piece of paper. That's sim- that's that's beyond semi-pelagianism. That's full-blown pelagianism. Then Jesus comes, in a sense, pulls the paper back. pulls it back out, right? Now, some would go, it gives us a completely clean sheet of paper. We could get in a discussion. But the point is that we're born clean. And so I remember having the argument, and I'm like, no. I took another piece of paper. I'm like, no, we're born like this. This is how we're born. We're born a crumpled up piece of paper. We're not born a clean sheet of paper. But she's saying you're born a put-together pot, and then life breaks you. And then Jesus comes to put the pot back together. None of that has anything to do with the gospel or sin or depravity. This is, okay, let's see. She's got time to fix it. She's got time to fix it. I'm going to have hope. I'm going to think positive thoughts. Not that that changes anything, but I'm going to think positive thoughts. All right, here we go.
0: I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. It says, not what I have, but what I have not. Is the first point of contact between my soul and God. It's not what I have, but what I have not that is my first point of contact between me and God. So I wonder
1: what you have. You know what? Because what we have not is we don't have anything to offer a holy God. We are beggars. We are bankrupt. We're homeless. We have nothing. We have nothing to offer God. I can bring nothing to contribute to my salvation. Nothing. I All I have is sin, deadness, depravity, rebellion, and ungodliness. I have nothing to offer God. God saves me and imputes a righteousness to me. The only thing that saves me is not my righteousness, but an imputed righteousness. That That's where my salvation comes from. But she's not... She, her Her entire premise the whole and thesis of the sermon is that we are a pot that 's perfectly together until we encounter the mean people in the world and then we 're broken that's the problem she 's trying to fix is the scars the brokenness that we have received because of other people she is nowhere acknowledged that we're we're born broken she made a little hint of it because her husband made a reference to the psalm that we're conceived in sin but she almost just kind of laughed that off and then gave an illustration that almost denied that and went with a semi-pelagian view of human nature
0: have not today and maybe because it's mother's day we could make a mother's day themed list of all the things that we don't have in our lives and maybe some of you would say i don't have a good relationship with my mom
1: no, 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 no. This is not what Spurgeon wasn't saying. What we don't have is a good relationship with our mom. We don't have any righteousness, any, even our good deeds are but filthy rags before a holy God. This is not like, I don't have a good relationship with my mom, so I'm broken. And Jesus is, com- what, what, it, what is happening? The church in America. I don't even get it. It it doesn't even, it's not even Christianity anymore. It's turned into some, I don't even know what it is. I don't even know what it is. And this is about to become the teaching, she's about to become the teaching pastor of one of the most influential churches in America. Sometimes you just have to just say, it's over. It's uh, it's just done. We just let's all just quit and go home because I don't even know what's going on here. But let's go. Uh, she's going to give all the list of the things we don't have. Hopefully, she says we don't have righteousness, we don't have the right obedience, we don't have anything to offer a holy God. Therefore, we need the gospel of grace and and an imputed righteousness. We need an alien and foreign righteousness to save us because our righteousness is never sufficient or good enough, and our obedience is never good enough. But obedience of Christ is okay, all right? You know the basic like gospel one oh one, like basic Christianity. Uh, maybe at some point, she's got 13 minutes now. Let's see if she'll uh, transition into a, a, a biblical explanation here.
0: I wish that she was a mentor to me. I wish that we could enjoy going out to lunch together, but we just don't have that kind of relationship. Some of you would, would say, I don't, I don't even have a mom. My mom passed away. And every time there's a moment in life that I want my mom to be there, She's not. Some of you would say, I don't have the ability to carry a child in my own body. And everywhere I look, there are people pregnant. Everywhere I look, there are people that they don't even wanna be pregnant and they're pregnant. And here I am, I'm begging God for a child and I don't have a child. Some of you would say, I I don't have a good relationship with my child. And as hard as I'm trying and as much as I've invested, our relationship is just broken. And I feel like a complete failure as a parent as a result of it. Friends, what if we could take all these broken parts of our life, all these flaws, all this pain, and what if we could gather them up and present them to Jesus and to say, Jesus, I can't heal this on my own. I
1: See, this is the idea that Jesus came to fix all of our problems in life he came to fix it hey you lost your mom he's there to fix it he's he wait a minute like there's a million issues with all of this please know that if I if because I lost my mom when I was young hey Jesus uh you know my mom is dead okay he'll take away the pain well, wait a minute. In his sovereignty, didn't he know when my mom was going to die? Couldn't he have kept my mom from dying? Couldn't he have stopped her from dying? Couldn't he have kept the aneurysm from you know, bursting in her brain? Couldn't I mean, couldn't he not have done all of that? This is looking to... Jesus is the one that comes to fix all of your problems. Your parents were mean. He comes to fix that pain. Jesus... This is not a Jesus who came to die for sinners. This is a Jesus. He's the Doctor Phil of uh, to come to fix all of our emotional hangups and all of our emotional scars. This is how Christianity is sold in America. We don't have a savior to save us from sin. We have a savior to save us from all of our emotional pain and our emotional uh, dissatisfaction with life and all of the scars that we've encountered in this mean, ugly world. See, this this is not a Jesus coming to save people from their sin. This is a Jesus coming to save us from the hurt that we've incurred by everyone else's sin. And this is the this is the Christianity that is sold, and then you get it, and you're like, okay, Jesus, make me better, make me feel better, take away my pain, take away my hurt, make it all go away. And a lot of people are like, it didn't go away. You know, like because you were sold a lie. Jesus didn't come to fix all of that, He came to save you from your sin. Am I saying that that in the relationship with Christ, there may not be things that will help heal and help you with some of this? I'm not saying that that's not the case, but he came to save us from sinner. He came us to save us from our sin. He came to save us, to provide a righteousness that which we do not have.
0: I can't put this back together. I need you to step in. If we keep taking our brokenness to Jacob, we'll never be healed. But what if we... Could what if we could allow this to lean in to our relationship with God? You see, Leah was unloved by her husband, and that is no small thing. I am not minimizing the pain in your life, the brokenness in your life. That is a very difficult thing, but what I am trying to bring to your attention is that there was no lack of love for Leah from her heavenly father, that he had an unlimited supply for her, and that if if she could turn from her source, looking to Jacob, to turn to a source that was actually capable of meeting that need, she would have experienced a whole new level of healing.
1: and. Right. Let's use it the correct way. Leah can't look to Jacob to fix her sin problem. Only Jesus can. This is the idea, oh, if you're in a bad marriage, well, I'm sorry, that marriage is horrible. You're in love. Look to Jesus, and he'll f- make you emotionally whole. Jesus didn't come to fix us of all of our emotional problems. He came to save us from sin. Now, in that relationship, there may be things that will help us. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that this is reducing the gospel is to a psychological cure for all of the pain and disappointment that you encounter in life. Jesus is the, the great physician coming to heal you, not from your sin, but to heal you from all of the hurts that you've encountered by all of the mean people in the world. And that's just not the way it works. It's not the way it works. That's why many Christians still struggle with pain and dissatisfa- uh, dissatisfaction and discontentment and, every, and all kinds of other issues
0: restoration. So we we keep looking to the wrong source. But guys, he is able to meet whatever needs you have in your life right now. If you are in need of provision, he can be your provider. If you are in need of healing or forgiveness or purpose or restoration, he can be that for you. He is the dearest friend. He is the truest companion. And when you learn to walk day by day, moment by moment with the Holy Spirit, you will learn that there is no friendship like friendship with him. He is the master artist. He is the one that can put all these pieces back together. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Japanese art form called Kintsugi, but it is this amazing, beautiful piece of art art that takes years to practice. You can see a little video going right here beside me of what it looks like. That there's a master artist that can take broken pottery and mend it back together. And it takes so much time and so much attention. It's a very tedious process, but then they mend it with gold. They seal it with gold and the finished product is so beautiful. It actually becomes more beautiful and more valuable than before the piece of art was ever broken. And we actually have a little piece of kintsugi here that there's a a friend of Echo that, that made this little piece of kintsugi. It's just such a beautiful piece of art. I think that we have a picture so you'll be able to see it on screen there so gorgeous, right? And when I learned about this art form, I thought to myself, man, isn't that exactly what Jesus does for us? That he takes all of our brokenness, all of our broken pieces, and he puts them back together again. He is the God of restoration. He's the one that takes the the things that seem irreparable in our life, the ashes, and turns them into beauty. And he says, now, it's even more beautiful. It's even more valuable. These flaws are a part of the history of what makes you the work of art that you are today. He is the restorer of all broken things. But you know what Leah did not understand in the middle of her mess? She didn't realize that there was such a bigger story being written all she could see was her flaws. She had such a limited perspective. We all do, right? All we know is here and now. We don't know the whole story. But what Leah did not realize is that it was actually her very flaw that was be- going to become the pathway to her greatest contribution that she would make in the world. In, in Genesis twenty-nine thirty-one, it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, When the Lord saw her flaw, he enabled her to conceive. He opened her womb. He made her productive. He made her fruitful. And she was able to become the mother of of half the tribes of the whole nation of Israel. Because God gave her this gift. But she had these first three sons. And every time she was wrecked with disappointment because it didn't turn out the way she was hoping, she realized that there was nothing she could do. There was nothing that she could produce that would earn Jacob's love. And so she had Reuben and she thought, now my husband's gonna love me. And then she had Simeon and she thought, God sees that I'm not loved. And then she had Levi And she said, now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I gave him three sons, but it never happens. And I wonder, when are we gonna realize that there is nothing that we can do or produce in this world that will satisfy our soul? There is no relationship with your spouse that can satisfy you. There is no relationship with your child that can satisfy you. There is no career or achievement that can satisfy a thirsty soul. We are looking to the wrong source for our satisfaction and for our healing. But what if we could change the source? What if we could change who we are looking to? Because you see Leah, she had a fourth son. And it says that after Reuben and Simeon and Levi came Judah. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I'll praise the Lord. And so she named him Judah. And what Leah didn't realize when she held that fourth son in her arms is that there was a king inside of that son. There was a lion inside of that son. Kings would be born through Judah, that in generations to come, Jesus the Messiah would come through him. The one that would be called the Lion of the tribe of Judah was born right. through poor little unloved Leah. There was a lion inside of her and she never even knew it. In Matthew chapter one, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah, whose mom was unloved, Leah. But Leah didn't know all this. Chapter number one of Matthew was yet to be written. And all she could see is this moment and all she could feel is her brokenness and her flaws. She didn't know that there was a greater story being written. And friend, the same is true for your life. You may have all this pain in your life, all these flaws that you feel like are irreparable, all this brokenness, and you don't know that there's a bigger story that's being written, that God wants to shine his favor on you in generations to come. And I don't know what you have labeled yourself with today. Maybe you've labeled yourself, I'm unloved. I've been abused. I've been abandoned and betrayed. I've been divorced. I'm an underachiever, I feel incompetent. And we begin to agree with those lies instead of agreeing with the truth about what God says about us, that he is the God that brings beauty out of our brokenness, that he is the God of restoration, that he is the God who sees you and he wants to work all things, even broken things together for your good and for his glory. And so today I wanna ask you, can you trust Jesus with your brokenness. Are you
1: now again, if you put the whole sermon together, brokenness here is not depravity. Brokenness here is not conviction over sin. She has turned the gospel into we are born a nice, beautiful flower pot. We're we're, we're we are uh, born a nice, beautiful vase, right? Then life Boom, 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 boom. Breaks us. Then we're all these broken pieces. All right. And then if we'll take that brokenness, all of that. I was abused and this happened and this happened And I'm a victim of all of these things. And I bring it to Jesus. Jesus will put the pieces back together and heal us and make everything wonderful and we'll live happily ever after. It'll be wonderful. That's what the gospel has been reduced to in this sermon. Now, it is a beautiful story that Leah, in a sense, the unloved one, is the one used by God to, well, ultimately bring about the, the, the Judah, and, and then the line of Judah flows from that. That is a beautiful story, demonstrating that God chooses the foolish things and the weak things of the world to confound the wise and the powerful. Yes, it, it is a beautiful story there, and there may be some application there. The problem is she has, she has completely ignored depravity and replaced depravity with brokenness and said the brokenness is the result of what people do to us and that we go to Jesus to fix that. She's completely obliterated the biblical teaching of the gospel and she's about to become the teaching pastor for one of the most influential churches in America. She's a great communicator, amazing communicator, Great communicator, emotional, engaging. She uses props and and object lessons and and, and all the, she she uses, she checks all the boxes to be a great communicator. The only problem is she's destroying a biblical worldview of depravity and almost going into a semi-Pelagian view.
0: Still looking to Jacob to try to mend all the broken things in your life. Or are you ready to bring it to the master artist who can put all things together again? I wanna invite you today to trust Jesus. For some of you, it will be for the very first time. When you came in here today, you would not have considered yourself a follower of Jesus. And maybe all your life, you've been trying to hold these broken pieces together. And maybe you're doing an awesome job at it. Maybe nobody knows. But you know, you know, in your heart that there are some deep flaws and there are some broken parts that cannot be fixed in your own strength. And today, what I'm asking of you is, would you surrender that to him? Would you acknowledge?
1: She's literally giving an evangelistic appeal to people saying, hey, you were broken by things that happened to you. Now you come to Jesus by bringing that brokenness to him. She's not in any way, shape or form addressing their sin. Their depravity. Bring your, you are a sinner guilty before a holy God deserving his wrath. No, 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 no. You've been broken by this mean, cruel world. Come to Jesus and give him your brokenness and you'll be a follower of Jesus. That is not the gospel message. That is not salvation. This is, Jesus is not a, the Dr. Phil and heaven coming to fix our emotional baggage. He is the savior to save sinners who deserve wrath. I, I, I the, oh my goodness, what has happened? It's one thing to just say, okay, I was just using this to talk to Christians and about the things that they've experienced. She just gave an evangelistic appeal over a sermon that has turned that not about depravity or sin, but over you've experienced bad things in life that broke you like a flower pot. Jesus will put you back together. Bring your emotional scars to Jesus and he'll fix you. Don't, not about Nothing about your sin. I don't think she's even used the word sin, I don't think. Or if she has, not about us. Sin, depravity, ungodliness, deserving wrath, condemnation. Like, this is, oh, man, okay.
0: Your need for God and say, Jesus, I need you to make me whole.
1: I need you to save me because I'm an unworthy sinner who deserves wrath. It's like, Jesus, I need you to make me whole because lots of bad things happen to me. That's not the gospel.
0: Some of you have been trusting Jesus for many years. But there's still brokenness in your life. There are
1: still flaws and hurts and hangups. Wait, 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 wait a minute. You just told the lost people, come to Jesus and he's going to make you whole. Now you're telling me that there are Christians who've been Christians for years and they still have brokenness. How come Jesus hasn't already fixed it? If you give the evangelistic appeal, come to Jesus and he will fix your brokenness. And then you turn right around in the same breath and said, there are some of you who are Christians and you've been Christians for years, but you're still broken. Why didn't Jesus fix it? (laughs) Hey, if you're here today and you're broken, come to Jesus and he will fix it. Hey, now to the person sitting next to you who've been saved for 30 years, you're still broken. See, see how good this Jesus fixing your brokenness is. You may be saved for 30 years and still not be fixed. Does she not see the other logical inconsistency of this? Hey, come to Jesus. He'll fix it. Now, some of you have been saved for 30 years and Jesus hasn't bothered to fix it yet. Well, it's probably because you didn't do what you're supposed to do.
0: that that weigh you down and the invitation is for you as well would you bring it to jesus you see when jesus came he had never experienced what brokenness was like before coming to earth he came from a perfect relationship with his father in a perfect place called heaven But the Bible says that Jesus made a choice to step out of that perfect place of heaven and step into our brokenness. That it is through that decision, through his choice to step into our brokenness that we can experience wholeness. That when Jesus went to that cross, he didn't deserve it. He had lived a perfect and flawless life. But him going to that cross represents him taking on brokenness on our behalf.
1: Not brokenness, sin. What in the world? Why can't she say that? He, he came to take your brokenness. He came to take sin. My sin is imputed to him where my, his righteousness can be imputed to me. This is literally rewriting the entire Bible. Hey, Jesus just came to take on brokenness to fix us, fix us from brokenness. We, we need to be fixed from brokenness. Our brokenness is a result of our depravity. Depravity produces the brokenness. It's not the brokenness that produces depravity. We don't need to be saved from our brokenness. We need to be saved from our sin, which produces the brokenness, unless you're defining brokenness as depravity. But she clearly hasn't said that because her entire opening illustration was, here's the perfect flower pot, and then we're broken by all of these things that happen to us. That's not... That's 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 semi-pelagianism. That may be going full-blown pelagianism.
0: He took on your sins and my sins on that cross.
1: There we go. Finally. Finally she mentions that he takes our sins. Finally, finally just a few seconds left and she finally uses that biblical terminology. But her entire sermon has been against that concept.
0: And it is the pathway for us to experience relationship with God again, for us to experience wholeness and and beauty from all of this brokenness. He is our pathway to healing. I want to invite you at all four of our campuses to stand right now. And on the night that... That Jesus was betrayed the night that he went to the cross. He had had dinner with his friends. And he took a piece of bread. And he, you know what he did? He he broke it. And he said, this represents my body that is broken for you. The one who knew no flaws chose to be broken.
1: The one who knew no sin Sin, sin. Why can we not use the word? What, what is wrong with this? Like, okay, guys, we don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to talk about depravity. We just want to talk about the fact that you've all been hurt by this very mean, cruel world. And Jesus came into this mean, cruel world to be hurt by the same mean, cruel world, so that he can he can make you whole from the mean, cruel world. But you may be saved for thirty years and still be broken. Uh, I, But hey, come to Jesus and he'll fix it. He'll fix it, but you may be 30 years into your relationship with Jesus and it's still not fixed. So I I don't know if Jesus actually fixes it or not because I don't even understand what in the world this is other than a really rewriting of the gospel itself.
0: So that we could be made whole. In just a minute, we're going to sing a song.
1: He became sin so that we could be made righteous. We are made righteous by faith, by an imputed righteousness that doesn't transform, that doesn't change me. It, cha- it changes my standing before God, but it declares me to be righteous, even though I am not righteous. Get, she, she's literally just now rewriting scripture. He didn't, he, he did not become flawed. He, he became sin so that I can become Righteous. My sin is imputed to him, and his righteousness is imputed to me. These are basic theological distinctions you learn in, well, you should learn in church as early as, a, I don't know, young in, in your church. And clearly, this is taught, obviously, in any Bible college or seminary.
0: At all four of our campuses, and it's based on the verse from Isaiah 53 that says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and it's by his
1: wounds that we are healed. Yes, from sin. See, he was punished for sin, for iniquity, for sin, sin, sin. That's the issue here. His wounds
0: heal us his brokenness made the pathway for restoration for you
1: so today as we're singing this not brokenness makes a way to restoration his death and punishment made way for you to be saved because he paid for your sins
0: song along with the band. I want to invite you to, in your mind, imagine all the broken and fragmented pieces of your life, all the flaws, all the pain. And I want you to imagine bringing them and laying them at the feet of Jesus and saying, Jesus, thank you that because of your wounds, because you stepped into the point of pain in my life, I can be made whole. Would
1: you pray with me? No, you imagine bringing your sin to Jesus so that you can be saved. Oh, man, what a train wreck. I don't even know what to say. I'm just going to, I mean, that's the end of the sermon, so I don't really have anything else left to say. I think I've said it all like 50 different times because the same problem keeps happening over and over and over in the sermon. Um, And she, and again, the only reason we're reviewing this, I don't want you to think, well, man, you went and just started picking on someone. No, it's all over the news. She's about to become the teaching pastor to one of the most influential churches in America. This is not not just some nobody that I'm picking on. No, no. This is like her husband, Andy Wood, is about to become the lead pastor of Saddleback Church, taking Rick Warren's place in September the 13th or 14th. His wife will become the teaching pastor, Stacy Wood. They are about to now take play, be a part of the most influential church in America, giving them a gigantic platform that that may make them a household name, or maybe the church just loses all of its relevancy and becomes a a relic of, of church history. I don't know what's going to happen. But I wanted to go back and look at their preaching at Echo Church in San Jose, California to give us some clue of what we're going to hear when they arrive at Saddleback. We reviewed a sermon from Andy. We reviewed a sermon from Stacy. We may review one more sermon, probably maybe somewhere in August or maybe as they get closer to the end, we'll review a couple more sermons. Well, I think they're gonna start attending. um, They're gonna start attending Saddleback, pretty early. So so they may not even be preaching anymore at Echo Church. So I don't know. What we may do is just not do anything else until they preach their first sermons at Saddleback, and then we'll review the first sermon preached by Andy and the first sermon preached by Stacy, and that will give us an indication of what Saddleback is going to look like moving into the future. She's a great communicator, engaging, enunciation, everything right, tone of voice, everything great, Very engaging to listen to. But she literally, utterly, just completely rewrote the gospel. In fact, wrote the biblical gospel out of existence and replaced it with something other. Just like her husband replaced that that we are equipped through the teaching of God's word and literally replaced that and say the way we are equipped and the way we grow is through through groups and through relationships. Both of them seem to replace biblical concepts with their, I don't know, whatever other concepts. There's something weird going on there since it happened twice now. And we've only reviewed two sermons. So we're two for two. And uh, we'll just have to see what happens when they get to Saddleback. But if you hear their names, once they get to Saddleback and all of a sudden they're writing books and, and they're all over Christian radio and Christian television and they become the new big thing, just remember you heard about them here on the Theology Central podcast in the month of June. Now some people already know who they are because they know Echo Church but uh they're by no means a household name by no means you can in fact you can't even subscribe to their podcast on a normal like most churches you can just do a search and find, subscribe to their podcast they have a YouTube channel that's not even that's not even advertised on their website so it's really weird they're like they're kind of really in that kind of obscure area of the Christian life even though they're pastors of large churches but there you have it All right, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And this, once again, just proves the ancient heresies of the past, of Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism, is still present in some ways, shapes, and forms here in the modern era, even though I'm not saying she was going full-blown semi-Pelagianism. If you take the opening illustration to her sermon and where it ends up, She clearly demonstrates that our depravity is not what we're born, our our brokenness is not something we're born, it's something that happens to us. Meaning, uh, the way she just described it is we have to be saved from that brokenness, so that brokenness now becomes the thing we're saved from. I mean, like, basically sin and depravity almost got completely eradicated from the entire gospel message. There you go. All right. Thanks for listening. Again, newsif at yahoo.com. We may be back late, for a late night uh, live broadcast, we'll see. Got a lot to do between now and midnight to get ready for tomorrow. But there you go. Thanks for listening. God bless.